Welcome to the Dynamic Leaders Podcast, a product of Talent 409. We are helping people discover their talent altitude. Each episode will bring you a conversation with people that display the seven pillars of dynamic leadership. Someone who possesses those seven pillars has courage, drive and accountability, integrity, grit, great communication skills, a high level of emotional intelligence, and they can motivate others. Have questions for me or a guest? Email me at colin at talent409.com and let's chat. That's colin, C-O-L-I-N, at talent, T-A-L-E-N-T, 409.com. This podcast is available on Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Radio.com, iTunes, and Apple Podcasts. If you like the show and want to help us grow, please take a minute and on Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating and review. Before we hop into today's episode, again, I want to remind everyone that we are having a special mailbag episode for the last Monday in September. You can get my email off the show notes or just email me at colin, C-O-L-I-N, at talent409.com. Any leadership, culture, organizational type questions, I'm going to be answering them. I've already got a few submissions, so thank you to the people who have already reached out and I'm looking forward to answering any and all of your questions on that episode. If you haven't already checked out the Lion Chat with Danny Faye from last Thursday, please go back and check that one out. It's a really interesting conversation about celebrating and men and women and the differences between the two. There's also a little teaser into what our next episode is going to be about at the end of that episode. So again, check out the Lion Chat with Danny Faye. That episode came out this past Thursday. And now we are moving on to my featured guest, who today is none other than Taylor Fuller. Taylor is a two-time national champion, winning the 2014 and 2015 women's softball titles at the University of Florida. As a student athlete at Florida, she played in 231 games with 198 starts and played every position except pitcher, second base, and center field. After a stellar collegiate career with the Florida Gators and two summers in the National Pro Fast Pitch Softball League for the Scrapyard Dogs and the Chicago Bandits, Fuller spent one season at UMBC as an assistant coach. She is now currently the assistant coach for Nova Southeastern University Softball, and she is got such an amazing story to tell, so many cool insights from her national championship teams at Florida. This is a really fun conversation. You're going to enjoy it. So here it is, my conversation with Taylor Fuller. Okay, everyone, welcome back to the Dynamic Leaders Podcast. Today, I have with me Taylor Fuller. Taylor, thank you so much for joining the show. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I'm excited to dive into our conversation and learn all about you and what's going on in your world. But before we get too far ahead, I do want to give you an opportunity to tell the listening audience a little bit about yourself. So please tell us, who are you? 
gosh, yeah. So um, I am the current assistant softball coach at Nova Southeastern um, here in Fort Lauderdale. I was born and raised in Gainesville, um, Florida's home for me. I started playing softball when I was seven. I absolutely hated t-ball. I was one of the kids that like played in the dirt and like cried at every game. Um, so I took a break from that. And then I started back in softball and I didn't stop until I was 23. I was fortunate enough to go to my dream school, the University of Florida. Um, I grew up about an hour outside of Gainesville in a really small town with one stoplight. So um, Florida was my dream school, fortunate enough to go there and have a successful career with uh, two national championships, three SEC regular season championships, um, and the relationships that I was able to develop and continue to this day uh, is unmeasurable with that stuff. And then um, after I graduated in 2016, I played two years professionally, um, which was the experience of a lifetime to be able to say that I'm a prof I am was a former professional athlete. Um, I'm very proud of that accomplishment and hopefully the NPF um, continues to grow to where little girls can make that their career one day. So, and then after that, I injured my thumb. I was a catcher, um, injured my thumb, couldn't play anymore, had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. Uh, I love kids. My mom um, has been teaching ever since I can remember. Um, so I was going to go back and get my master's in education potentially. And then um, ironically, one of the coaches that recruited me out of high school um, was also a family friend. She was coaching up in Maryland at the time. And when she heard that I couldn't play anymore, reached out to me if I wanted to come and take a part-time position with her, just to kind of feel it out, help her out, see what it was like. And I did that and fell in love with coaching. And here I am today. Beautiful. Now, my first question has got to be because you're from the Gainesville area, are you or are you not a Tom Petty fan? Oh, you have to be. There's no <laughs> choice. They force that on you. <laughs> <laughs> well, force is maybe a strong word. He's got some pretty good music. <laughs> you see him all the time. You had no choice. You either had to plead the fifth or you had to agree. <laughs> plead the fifth. That's amazing. <laughs> well, I'm glad it seems like you can at least appreciate his music, uh, whether yes, whether or not yeah, whether or not you enjoy it as much as I do, but <laughs> it was it may not be like my first choice, but I'll <laughs> Yeah, no, it was really interesting when you talked about the type of town that you grew up in. And I just remember reading Tom's biography the summer I was going to see him, actually the summer that he passed away. And it was really the first time I had taken a deep dive into his life. And I didn't know really much about Florida and Gainesville in particular. And just reading about how small town it is like that where there is only one stoplight and there's not much going on and everything. I, it's a life I can't even imagine growing up in a midtown, you know, mid-sized city, but it was really interesting just the whole Gainesville area and what he means to it. So I was pretty sure you would at least have some type of connection or some type of story to tell on that. Oh yes, of course. Of course. They paid a big tribute to him when he passed away. I do remember that. So Gainesville takes a lot of pride in the people who are able to have their name on a little bit of a bigger stage. 
because of the small town feel, you tend to remember your roots a little bit more and um, appreciate where you came from. So it's, I love Gainesville. That, that is home for me. Yeah, sure. And that's obviously a really great attribute to have, just remembering your roots, remembering the history of your town, the people surrounding you. And I think it just makes you appreciate everything more. But let's move away from Tom Petty. Let's get back into a little bit more about you. So mentioning that you grew up playing softball and baseball, even before that T-ball, I think you had said, just in general, I mean, what did sports do for you as an adolescent growing up? I mean, what did it provide for you uh, in terms of maybe competition, in terms of friendship? Did you get those type of things out of athletics? Oh, of course. Sports um, have always been like my everything. That whole uh, ball is live saying is like corny <laughs> and we make fun of it, but it's so true. Um, I grew up in a very um, athletics-based family. My dad played football and my mom played tennis at Troy University. So as soon as I came into this world, it was competition and always striving to be your best. And my parents' big thing with me when I was growing up was God has blessed you with this talent. Um, You need to use it because not everyone's fortunate enough to be able to perform on a stage like this or to your abilities that almost makes it right away bigger than yourself, which is ultimately what every sport is about playing for something bigger than yourself. So that was installed um, when I was young. Um, And then through, it was, it's a tough, tough thing to do to try to balance sports and um, just everything else outside of life, especially when you're younger, because if you're good at a sport, you know, generally from a pretty young age and um, you dive into it with everything you have, whether it's your choice or your parents' choice, because they see what you have. Um, I don't think it really matters. You learn about it, but it's hard when you're little because the people who aren't playing sports have a social life. They have everything outside of it. And you have to learn um, really your priorities and when it's okay to take a break and when it's time to work. And that um, has always been something that I've taken pride in is my work ethic because I was blessed with natural ability, but not enough to get me where I, not enough to get what I had accomplished in my career. So I had to work really hard. We joke about it now, me and my parents, I would hit 10 buckets of balls off the tee every day and I would cry and I hated it and it was terrible. (laughs) But that dad's always like, are you going to thank me now? Are you going to thank me now? I'm like, no, just out of spite. But they they made me and it obviously turned out great with that kind of stuff. So the work ethic is something that was really, really big for me. And then relationship wise, oh, I, my best friend is still who I started playing travel ball with when I was eight years old. Um, she's still the person I go to. That relationship is still there. And then all along throughout the sport, I've created um, relationships that are, they are friends, but they're family now. I can't think of a person that I don't just randomly talk to or randomly check up on that wasn't from softball. You just meet so many people. I actually lived in Kansas my last two summers of high school to play travel ball, and I met kids that were going to all different colleges, all different universities, and then fortunate enough to play against them in college some and in travel ball those same summers. So those relationships that you're able to create and learn from, I, I 
don't know what I would have done without them and without the game, I would not have those relationships. Okay, let's talk, let's piggyback off of that part of the conversation and talk a little bit more about work ethic and expectations. So from my perspective, from what you just said, the work ethic piece of it, let's start there. It seemed like, I'm not saying that you didn't want to work hard and that you didn't want to be successful, but maybe when you were younger, that was something that you needed to grow into a little bit to realize where you could get. And ultimately now we obviously know that was the professional level. And it seems from, again, this is my perspective. So tell me if I'm wrong, please. But it seems like it was your parents that pushed you and you maybe weren't as receptive in the beginning as they might have liked, or even as you might have expected, given where you ended up. Can you talk about how you had to adapt to that or flex those muscles when it came to the work ethic to get to the point where you could be successful, not only at the next level in college, but in the professional level as well? Yeah, no, you're completely right. It was not my choice when I was younger. Um, It was all my parents. I was fortunate enough to have parents that have been at that um, top level. So they, they knew about it. Um, some kids are not, but the parents still have an idea. I think a lot of it starts from the parents. And even nowadays, uh, we get kids that have great work ethic and they're like, Oh, well, I went home and my mom and dad made me do this. Mom and dad made me do that. Um, and then you get the kids who struggle to grasp that concept and they go home and didn't have to do anything. So it's very evident. Um, when you create your work ethic, I think I started realizing on my own without pitching a fit and crying and wanting to quit. When I was in probably high school, I verbal committed my sophomore year. And well, I guess probably about eighth grade freshman year when I realized I, I was good. I had a, I had a chance to go to my dream school and accomplish the dreams that everyone had talked about um, in the game of softball since you were little. Um, softball is similar, but different from some sports. We do tend to commit a little early, which the NCAA made a rule. You can't commit. You can't get talked to until your junior year now. But when I was in high school, it was a little different. So we committed a little early and then it turned from working to get to your goal to working to keeping your goal. Cause a verbal commitment is just that a verbal And a lot of people um, will hold it and then some people will not. So I had to learn the balance of continuing to push myself and figure out how to get better, even if even if the people around me were stagnant, because I mean, not everyone in high school softball can wants to have that competition level. It's more for social aspect, which is perfect and awesome, but just different goals. Um, and then you also had the travel, travel ball aspect of it too, where you were playing the best of the best every time. And your coaches are coming to watch you to see where you're going to be fit and mold into their program. So you have to be able to perform at your best every time. Um, and that transitioned right into college too. You are not fighting for a spot because obviously you're all on the same team, but you're competing and making each other better every practice. And Freshman year, college is hard. It's a lot going on. So learning how to balance everything else with continuing to work 
was is an adjustment, but you learn it quickly because usually you go into a culture where that's the norm. That's what everyone else is used to. Um, we, as a coach, we have to sometimes explain to the girls that it's easy to work when that whole everyone is watching. It's easy to come to practice and work from the three hours that you're practicing or however long that you practice. That's easy because you're there. You're there with your friends. You have to do it. It's practice. It's mandatory. To us and to me, work ethic is when no one's watching. Are you going up to the field and hitting extra? Are you doing those 15 minutes before practice to try to perfect your fielding? Are you doing some extra throwdowns? Are you doing extra pitches? Whatever your position is, um, what are you doing to better yourself and then ultimately better the team outside of those practice hours? Are you bringing people up with you? Are you creating a culture where everyone just wants to get better? And then as a whole, from that, we get better as a team and the bar just never stops rising for you as a player, us as coaches, because we're constantly having to come up with stuff to make you better. Um, And professionally, that really helped me because professional ball is, um, I would say, a little bit less structured than college because, I mean, you're adult, you're grown, you don't need someone watching over you. But you are, once again, competing the best of the best every single game. There, college, you may have a little bit of a break where it's not as high caliber of competition, but pro, you do not. You are seeing the best people um, every game. So you have to learn the balance of, okay, my body needs a break or mentally I need a break or I can go out and do this with friends or I need to go to the field and hit. I need to go to the field and some defense, whatever it may be. And I continue that today. Uh, I take pride in that. Let's talk about the expectation piece of it. Now, obviously, you talked about being a product of some pretty successful athletes in their own right, your parents, and maybe they were pushing you in a direction where they wanted you to get involved in competitive athletics. But the expectation of just being able to compete at high levels, but add into that the, I don't know, lack of a better word, the burden maybe sometimes of knowing that you have this ability to compete at a really high level. How did you deal with those expectations and keep yourself in line and be able to do the type of things that you needed to do in order to be successful? Um, It was hard. Um, Growing up in such a small town, uh, Gainesville surrounded by a bunch of little, little cities. So like Gainesville's the core of everything, but so, all those ones surrounding, um, I'm technically from Chiefland and it is a very, very small town. Not like, I don't want to sound conceited, but like if you're good in those towns, everyone knows you, everyone, like you said, expects you to be good and to do great things. Um, in high school, I struggled with that. Um, Fortunately enough, I had my mom and dad there to kind of help me learn how to listen to some of it to push me and then to just ignore a lot of it, which ultimately prepared me for college. But it was hard. You just have to learn how to focus on what you can control. If you can't control it, then there's really no reason to bother worrying about it, especially at a younger age, because you already have enough going on. Um, And that's really what I tried to do. Now, obviously, how successful I was at that and managing that is different in everyone's opinion and and was a little difficult. But it 
somewhat prepared me for college because my freshman year, once again, um, I had a lot, a lot of pressure on myself and my class um, because I was only an hour, hour outside of Gainesville. You know, you have everyone coming to the games, everyone reading all the papers, everyone local. So they saw everything that happened, whether that was a failure or a success. And most of the time when you fail, unfortunately, in college and professionally, it's very rare for some fans to uh, support you. They're usually very quick to bring negative connotations with you. And that's hard. I mean, it's kids. You're, you're still a kid when you go into college. It's difficult to balance. But for me, when I got to college, something that really helped um, was realizing that it's bigger than me whether that meant focusing on my teammates and wanting to learn from them and build those relationships with girls that would eventually become like family to me, or it was the little girl who wanted um, a ball signed after the game, whether I went over for three or three for three, that little girl was going to be sitting outside the fence waiting to get my autograph and my teammates autograph. She didn't care. She just wanted to watch the game at a high level and enjoy it. And that was something that helped me a lot throughout college. And obviously, um, the longer I was there, the more I learned how to balance that kind of stuff mentally with the expectations. And I think that falls on, um, on the coach a lot, too, is learning how to manage that with your players. Because when we won the first national championship, we had a lot of pressure to go back to back. Our coach, he learned how to continue to strive for that, but also it's not defending a national championship because once that year's over, it's no longer ours. Everyone's competing at the same time. So just starting over and going to win another one, not defending anything. So, I mean, those were things that really helped me throughout that process. That's great perspective to grow into. Now, you talked about being in high school and realizing that you needed to focus on what you can control versus what you can't. Can you tell us a little bit more about what some of those things were that you identified to help out maybe someone who might be going through a similar situation right now? Yeah, um, like I said, and especially in high school, the social aspect lacks sometimes when you're at such a high level and you know you have to work so hard you know and kids are going to the beach or to the springs or hanging out on the weekends you're probably playing softball you're at a softball tournament doing what you love with the girls that you love but it's it's different so having the big picture in mind is something that you have to do and that will prepare you for everything in life having the bigger picture whether it's your job after softball or even with your family, you know, um, if you get in a little scuffle with your siblings, you can't worry about right there, right there. Big picture. What were they saying? What was their intentions? Business. What is the end result? What is my end goal here? Um, so that applies to everything that you do. You have to um, trust the process. You can't question the, the negatives that come along with that because especially softball, softball is a game of failure. And if you don't learn how to grow from that and learn from them, it's you probably won't be playing very long because it won't be fun. Um, it's a it's a hard game. So learning to really see, like I said, that big picture and focusing on those things that you can control in that picture will 
eventually teach your brain to kind of not even see the things that you're, I guess, quote unquote, missing out on or lacking thereof in high school because your friends don't have the same path or the same ability, whatever it may be. It's important also, I think, for younger kids to have uh, people in their corner, someone who can listen to them when they're frustrated or sad about whatever it is. And they're um, accountable enough to go, hey, I understand, like, it's okay. And then sometimes you need a little, like, kick in the butt, like, okay, get over it, let's go. It's big picture. Once again, you're going to end up in three years going to college, getting a degree at an amazing university, playing for a national championship, whereas these other kids won't. So I think between the big picture and the support group, that is something that I would, like, really, really push on younger kids that can compete and want to compete and pursue a dream when they're younger. Big picture people. Taylor said it. I stress it all the time on this podcast and with people that I work with. If you can connect to something that is bigger than just wins and losses and your individual contribution to the game, then you're probably going to be a lot more happier and a lot more successful as a result. Yes. Yes. Completely agree. All right. Let's talk about versatility you identify as a catcher but i've read especially in college that you played a number of different positions <laughs> on the field pretty much everything i think i read except pitcher second base and center field but i'm sure you probably could have at least handled the <laughs> center field and second base positions maybe not pitcher i don't know how good of an athlete you are but probably not pitcher, probably <laughs> not pitcher. okay fair enough but for the purpose of this conversation, I want to talk about the importance of making yourself an athlete who can contribute not only in a specialized position, but all over the field. So you could be available for injury purposes. You can be available if somebody is slumping and you need to switch out something. You bring a lot more value to a team than you do if you're just specializing in one position and you're kind of stuck there whether you're good, whether you're not, what did you see? Yeah. What did you see as the value that you were bringing? And do you wish that, well, maybe not wish, but as a coach now, do you preach that it should be something that your student athletes that the girls on your team should also be considering being a versatile athlete? Oh, completely. 100%. Um, Like you said, as a, when I was a student athlete my freshman year, <laughs> I was all over the field. I played outfield, I played infield, I caught. Um, I did whatever my team needed me to do. I probably looked crazy running around the field in our pregame <laughs> routine, going from position to position, from left field to right field to catcher to third. Um, it was it was a lot, but the, I think that goes back to the whole bigger picture thing because when you get to college – it's where does my team need me? Where can I get, where can I play that I'm in the lineup? Where can I play that we're going to be successful? That, and you learn that right off the bat, usually in the culture. And then from a coaching perspective, the like high school athletes, you can never be too versatile. Um, as a coach, we have people obviously graduate and we have to fill their positions. And if you can only play one position, and it's not a position we're looking for, we can't bring you into our program. The more positions that you can play and have experience at, 
gives us more confidence in your ability to be able to play that position or fill that need right off the bat as soon as you come in. And since we're D2, when we bring kids in, we expect them to come in and play every year um, and fight for a spot. And that's at every level. But sometimes the higher the level you go, they have a little bit more of a, a, a stagger to the positions. But the versatility as an athlete, and I think that applies to other sports as well, obviously to an extent of like not hurting yourself. But there's always been controversy of should I only play one sport or can I play multiple sports? And I'm a huge advocate of playing multiple sports because not only do you increase your athleticism and in softball, like your fast twitch muscles. Um, I played volleyball all throughout high school and it was my fun sport technically because it wasn't as serious as softball. But I still learned um, my different movements. I learned how to control my body a little bit better. I learned what my limits were with certain things. I think when you're able to learn your body like that and learn how strong you are mentally and physically through other sports and then the complete different aspect of playing with the team, Um, learning how to communicate with different people, learning what makes other people tick, what motivates other people, how how they like to be talked to, how you shouldn't talk to them if they're angry, what what their approach is can only better you for the college experience and ultimately ultimately make it more enjoy, enjoyable for you and everyone around you. So I think versatility is very, very um, underrated in the game of softball. I think it's coming up a little bit, but any sport, that is something that kids need to focus on whether you're a player, a coach, whatever, it's very, um, it's highly sought after at every level. Sure. And I think that you're seeing it across, especially professional sports, you're seeing it in baseball, in football, having multiple positions that you can, like if a running back like Saquon Barkley can be a running back, but also play out of the slot and play receiver the next play. And then in baseball, you have, DJ LeMahieu for the Yankees, who came in as a utility infielder this season and has played all around and is having an MVP type season because they can plug him in. He can play every single day and he hits the crap out of the ball. So it's, it's definitely something that can bring value. What I'm interested to learn from a coaching perspective now that you're in this perspective is how you teach somebody to open up to the idea of being a versatile athlete. Um, I think in college, it's pretty self-explanatory. When you go to college, everyone around you is good. Um, It's no longer, you know, travel ball. You have those few kids, high school. You maybe have more than a few kids that aren't on your level. But college is not like that. Every girl on your team is either at your level or above your level. When they learn that, they either A, work just as hard or harder than that girl or B they kind of cower down and until, and they can learn it in the future or it takes them a little bit, whatever, or they learn it right away. It just depends on their personality. Um, but I think it's very um, clear from the beginning because sometimes, you know, you have freshmen coming in and if you have a junior shortstop, I mean, that junior shortstop has, probably 150 games at the college level, at least on the freshman. So she has experience. She 
knows the game better. She just is able to see it a little different, whereas the freshman does not. And sometimes they either rise to that challenge and they make each other better or they kind of cower in their shell until they get comfortable and then they explode out. Just depends on the personality. But it, I think it's different um, for every kid on how, how you approach it. Fortunately, um, myself and my head coach were very honest with them from the very beginning. And I think that's something that kids have to learn if they have questions they need to ask um, in the recruiting process. We're very honest with them of like, hey, we have so-and-so graduating. We expect you to come into this role and fill it. And if you can't, then we'll find somewhere else if you can hit like stuff like that. We're very straightforward with them on what position we expect them to come in and fill or what role we expect them to fill on the team. I think a lot of athletes struggle their first year because they expect something and then they're not able to adjust to what actually happens. And that adjustment is something that you will have to deal with for your entire life. And it may be on the fly. It may be um, created over a couple weeks when you realize, hey, I'm not at that level. Whatever it is, um, you have to be able to adjust to whatever your coach, your boss, your mentor, whoever it is, um, to what they want. Because ultimately, they're the one who makes the decisions. And like I said, that correlates to not only sports, because the head coach is usually the one who makes all the decisions. And if they don't think that you're up to the par, then we're going to give ourselves the best um, chance to win. And then in life also, if your boss doesn't think you're doing your task and executing them well enough to his standards, he's going to find someone else to do it. So I think you either rise to the challenge or you're content and you fall behind. And that's really a personal decision that the athletes, athletes make in every sport. 30-second break to talk about my sponsor, Sweat with Scott. What a great sponsor she is. She's been with Pod since day one, and we love having her support. Sweat with Stods offers a number of different options to get you on a path to improve your fitness future. Everything from fitness, nutrition, and simple healthy habits. So what are you waiting for? Head over to sweatwithstods.com right now, and when you buy a program, enter the code DYNAMIC at checkout to receive a discount for being a loyal podcast listener. Now back to the show. Okay, let's talk Gator Nation. (laughs) Bring us deep into the swamp. I want to get as much of a deep dive as I can into more of the cultural and leadership aspects of your national championship teams. You mentioned earlier you went back to back. So not so much the X's and O's and how you executed on the field, but give our listening audience as much of a deep dive as you can into what the cultural and leadership aspects were of those teams. I think when it's that high caliber of a program and every program is different, but specifically, obviously I can only speak on Florida. The day you set foot on campus, you are taught the culture from the upperclassmen. And I think that is huge in a program, Um, the upperclassmen teaching the underclassmen what the culture is, what the morals are, what the standard is. So that way you pass it down from class to class. The culture is never lost. And that is something that we were taught as soon as we got on campus. Um, Something that I still have nightmares about are our six hands. And I still tell our girls, like, 
we did time 6 a.m. on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and we would not sleep on Thursday night because we were so scared of what we would run on Friday morning. But we knew that not making time wasn't an option. You were going to make time, whether you dove across the line, whether you were not to be vulgar, but throwing up in the trash can, like beside it before your time started, it didn't matter. You were making your time. And that's just the standard that we learned and had set um, as a program was not that losing wasn't an option, but that losing and not learning wasn't an option. You're going to lose games. I mean, we played 60 something games in a season that it's unrealistic to think you're not going to lose. But if you lose and don't learn from those losses and what you can do better and what you can continue to do as a team and to grow, um, that's where you start to downfall a little. And chemistry is something that was huge to my coach, Coach Walton, in college. Um, And that's something that I continue to carry to my girls today. My um, relationships with my teammates is something that, like could make me emotional if I went too deep into it because those girls meant everything to me and they still do. I stay in touch with all of them. You know, my freshman year, I went into it as, you know, that whole, now you're a little fish in a big pond. I could not imagine how big, how big of a pond that was before I got there. So I kind of latched onto a senior that took me under her wing and taught me the ropes and that it was okay to, cry sometimes when you're struggling it's okay to be vulnerable it's okay to have to lean on someone so I was able to have someone that I could go to and I think that is crucial for any culture my those teams were oh goodness the the closest that I've ever been in a relationship they're each other's family we knew how to talk to each other when we were doing well we knew who to talk to if we were struggling. We knew who we could go to, to whether it was softball advice, what was I doing wrong, whether it was life advice. We knew who we could talk to, and majority of the time it was everyone. We had each other's backs to the fullest extent, Um, whether that was on the field or off the field, it didn't matter. And I think that came down from the coaching staff. At the time, it was Coach Wall and Coach Rocha and Coach Gajewski. They were our rock. Um, We knew we could go to any of them at any time, no matter what was going on, and they would listen and help us. And sometimes that was tough love. Sometimes it was, you know, coddling a little bit. It just depended on what we needed in that situation. But it starts from the top down. And our coaches taught us that from the very beginning. And then we learned how to lean on each other and those fall months before the spring were huge for us because that's when you bond with your team off the field. That's when you learn each other's mental state, when you're running, when you're conditioning, when you're lifting, how far to push someone. Those times are, are what I remember. Obviously, I remember the wins and losses. Some losses hurt still, but the moments with my girls on the field and off the field are, are what I remember and cherish the most out of all that because our our chemistry was so good and whether that was tough love or coddling or whatever I I miss those times more than anything and are still able to hang out with my girls and I'm actually going to one of their weddings next weekend so they're they were they're your sports system and that's something that you never lose for the rest of your life Can you tell us a little bit more about what some of those things were that you did as a team on and off the field that 
brought you together so closely. And I don't ask this to make you emotional thinking about the good times in the past. But the reason I ask is if there is a coach listening, for example, and they're trying to figure out, man, how do I get my team to feel that closeness that you just described? That's why I'm asking. So I'm just wondering if you can tell us a little bit about some of those team building, whether they were structured activities or just things that you as a team decided on your own that you were going to do on and off the field. Can you give us a little insight there? Yeah, no, of course. Um, I think it's created more off the field at first than on the field, honestly. Um, Cause on the field, you're nervous, you're a newcomer, getting used to everyone, see how they play, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But off the field is where you get to know them as a person. You create that relationship with them. We would do, I joke about it now still, because at the time I hated it, which sorry, Coach Wallen, if you listen to this, but we would do craft night at Coach Wallen's house every Wednesday. And like I said, that was at his house. That was with his family. That was with his pets, his kids. Um, So we got to see him in a different light um, than on the field as a coach. We got to know him as a person and vice versa. And like I said, as a player, I mean, I didn't really enjoy it because you're going to your head coach's house to do crafts and it's like, what am I doing? But now I look back at it and I'm like, wow, that made us grow tremendously because like I said, we saw him in a different light. We saw him as a dad, as a husband, and we learned that he not only cared for us as players, but also as people. He wanted us to enjoy our experience and to grow us as well. And that was something that was huge. And we did that, um, all the time we would call them craft nights because we would just uh, coach Roja would always have craft nights. And to this day, even with my girls, you know, I'm young and still creating it, but we do craft nights and they absolutely love them. I was shocked at how much they enjoyed it and not even so much the crafts, but just being with each other off the field, enjoying each other's presence, um, really getting to know each other. That's something they enjoy. And then, um, We did what is called individual dates, and I still do it as a coach. You had to go on a quote-unquote date with one of your teammates. It couldn't be a group. It couldn't be four or five of you guys. Um, It had to be one-on-one with every single one of your teammates, and that made you learn and grow about them as people and understand their life and where they came from and what they had to go to, their trials and tribulations. And that just makes you closer with them. That creates that that bond and that friendship. And like I said, we enjoyed that. My girls now, they absolutely love it. They're into the year meetings. We're like, what What did you like? What did you dislike? And they're like, the dates. We love the dates. Can we please do those next year? And of course, we're doing them. But it forces them, because girls are girls. They sometimes don't want to go out on their shell. It forces them to get to know their teammates at a very early age. We started the first week of school, and as a player, we did that as well. You learn that person um, as soon as they get on campus, and there's no stagnant period with um, who is she, where is she an only child, does she have siblings, Um, does she have mom and dad, like, does she have pets, whatever it is. It's getting to know them on a personal level and not just a player level, and I think when you can do that as a coach – you're going to get more out of your player and more ounce of them on the field because they trust you. They are able to relate to you as a person, not just a player. And they know that you care about them outside of softball. So those were some things that we did that 
we really enjoyed. And then as a team, obviously, we, we were always together, um, whether that meant hanging out for the night, um, going to the beach during the day on our off day, whatever it was. We were always together and we always invited everyone to make sure it was like an open invitation because no one was going to be left out. There were no clicks. Once you can create that chemistry, it's very, very hard for them to lose it. And it's only on usually on the up from there on out. So that was our forte. And I still try to continue that as a coach now. Very cool. That's such powerful insight. Really appreciate that. Now, the flip side to everything, not to get negative, but even when you have a great team and a closeness that you just described that everybody aspires to have. And ultimately you capped off those two seasons with the ultimate team goal by winning the national championships. But I'd have to imagine there were still moments of inevitable adversity that you had to overcome as individuals and as a team. Take a minute to think about this one because I know I didn't prep you for it, but was there one moment in those two seasons that really stands out among all the others that said, wow, we really had to figure this out. Otherwise we weren't going to accomplish what we set out to do. Oh gosh. What comes to mind? I don't really know if it's like overcoming it. I don't think, but the first year we won the national championship, we obviously were really, really good, but we, we continued to win, but we knew we weren't like together. We knew we weren't playing as one. We nothing, everything wasn't clicking in the right spot just quite yet. And like I said, fortunate enough to continue to win and make it to the world series, but we just, it was off. We knew something fell off. Um, and then when you get to the world series, uh, it's funny how softball works because you can play mediocre and, average obviously at the highest level and still make it to postseason with some luck and then whoever is the hottest in postseason is going to win whether you're seed one or seed ten it doesn't matter those go out the window in postseason you if you're hot at the time then you're going to win and when we got to the world series that first year we just exploded something clicked with us like i don't know if it was hey like we're on the biggest stage there is we have thousands of little girls that are watching us and our parents are watching us and they've been through it with us like this. And since we were eight or nine and the, the sacrifices that they've made, we just started playing for not to win, but for other people. And we could feel that. And we just dominated that first year. We like that feeling of, we were like unstoppable at the plate. We were hitting home runs, hitting for average, bunting, doing the execution plays that we had practiced and done all year. And just everything came together. Our pitching staff was, you could not stop them. They were on fire. Our defense was, like I said, once again, like amazing. I think our shortstop had one error the entire postseason. And that's what's in the national championship. That's unheard of something just clicked for us. And I don't know what it was, like I said, maybe playing on that stage and finally getting there and feeling that rush of adrenaline after waiting for so long. But we just finally came together as a team and we knew that nothing was going to stop us. We were going to win regardless. In the second year, 
I mean, it was the same concept, but I specifically remember that first year of it, it just clicking and everything was just smooth and natural for us. And we knew like, okay, if I don't get on this person behind me is going to take the bat and do what she needs to do. And there was no pressure on any one person to perform because all of us had a role and we knew that role and we executed that role. So that, that was just like amazing to me as a player. And I'm sure to coach Wallen, he saw it too. So yeah, and it makes me think about it almost seems like you flipped a switch for urgency. And urgency can definitely be seen in a negative light when you think about it in terms of putting too much pressure on yourself, but in the positive light, I like to see urgency as a no pressure situation, but as someone or as a team that has the ultimate focus. Like they know what they need to do to go out and succeed and execute. And it seems like that's the point that you got to during that first run to the college world series, you got there and that flip switched and then it carried over into that next year where you just kept that swagger up and that urgency up rolled through on your way to back to back titles. So for that first you know portion of that first season where you won the national championship, maybe you were sleepwalking a little bit through the regular season. And then all of a sudden it was like, Hey, we have a really great chance to do something special here. Let's get it together. Let's focus and let's go. Does that seem accurate? Oh no, completely. I completely agree with that. Very cool. Awesome that you were able to experience that. I mean, everyone obviously wants to win a national championship and that's the ultimate cherry, but just to be able to experience a team atmosphere where you're all pulling in the same direction. You have that focus. You have that urgency to get it right and to do things for your teammates. I mean, just the ultimate culture experience that I can think of. So must have been something that was really special for you and definitely want to acknowledge that. Oh, well, thank you. Yes, it was. And I think win or lose. Whenever you're able to create that with the team, the wins will eventually come. But when you have that culture established and you can see it being passed down from class to class, that's when you know as a coach that you're you're going good, that you're on the right track, getting getting the right girls, the right mindset. When I specifically like OU, uh, when they lost the national championship, they were sad about losing, but it was more about not being able to play with their girls again. It was the teammates. It was, I'm never going to be on that field. Um and obviously that was the same thing with um, my class, my senior year. But whenever you're reaching that where it's more of, oh, my gosh, I'm not going to play with my girls or my teammates right now ever again or on this field ever again, it's sad, but it's it's satisfying from a couple years down because you realize – okay, I got it. I, I understood like why I was playing. I understand why I picked softball and not just for the wins and losses, but something bigger than that. Beautiful. Now let's give you an opportunity. I know we're getting towards the end of our conversation here, but your coach, as you mentioned, an assistant at Nova Southeastern down there in Florida, Tell us a little bit about some of the goals and things that you're looking to accomplish in the upcoming season. Yeah, of course. So um, this will be my second year. Um, Julie LaMare has for four seasons 
And from what she's told me, it was pretty rough at the start. You know, a new coach coming in, bringing a different culture um, is, is hard to do. This um, past year, we got back to where we needed to, win-wise, record-wise, having a contention in postseason, um, starting to get the right mindset and right culture with the girls. So this year, we really just want to kind of flip the switch all the way. Right now, it's kind of in the middle and could go either way, and we just want to flip it completely to that culture of playing for each other, playing for something that's bigger than yourself, and the wins will come along. Um, Learning your role and not accepting your role, but always continuing to perform your role while getting better, while pushing that person in front of you, because then ultimately the team gets better. That's what we're – we really want this year and we have a really good chance for it. We have a lot of the new kids coming in that we're really excited about. Um, we have returners that did really well last year and could potentially be really good leaders for the girls this year. Um, so we're really excited about what this team could do. And then hopefully with this being the second year that the culture is kind of where we want it at, then everything else will fall into place because we have the physical ability it's just a matter of getting on with getting on board with our mentality right now and getting behind us as a coaching staff and then just trickling down from class to class of what what the Nova standard is, what Coach Amir and I's standard is of what's going to be acceptable, what's unacceptable, and not even win and loss wise, but you know, like we talked about work ethic, accountability, um, what are you doing when no one's watching? What are you posting on your social media? Um, for other people to see how are you representing the Nova brand. And when you can get those things in line, uh, everything else will fall into place. So that we're really excited about that because we, we have the potential to be really good this year and to finally establish the culture that we're looking for. I think you're definitely on the right track for establishing that culture. So I'm excited to see where things go for you this season as well. And I'm sure it's going to be an exciting ride for you, but the show is called Dynamic Leaders, and there are so many people that influence us in one way or another throughout our lives and show us the leadership traits that help us become the people that we are today. And you are a dynamic leader yourself. That's why you're on the show. But I want to give you an opportunity to shout out someone in your life that really stands out as a leader in their own right. Okay, so I have really struggled with this question one, because like you said, I've had so many dynamic leaders, fortunately enough for me in my life, that have just taught me and molded me into who I am today. So it was difficult for me. I couldn't come up with a dynamic leader, but I was thinking more of like a dynamic group for me personally, because every person that I thought of, um, and it started from my family, like, uh, Okay, my mom is a dynamic leader. Like she, my dad had kidney cancer and she was our rock. She held the family down, but my dad made her a better person. And that's what the relationship is about. So, okay, they're a group. I'm the oldest of four children, but my younger siblings have taught me things and molded me and the loyalty and being protective over them because I grew up as the oldest. So they helped with that. We're a dynamic group. And then all the way to Coach Walton. Coach Walton is a, by any means, dynamic leader. He knows how to communicate. He knows what makes this person tick. He knows how to motivate his players. 
He knows how to um, relate to them and what they need, whether that's an off day going paintballing or if it's a really hard day on the field. But Coach Gajewski and Coach Rocha and Coach Pestrak, who's our um, another coach, they were his system. As a head coach, you're not always liked, so we knew we could go to them. They were a dynamic group. Without those three coaches, I don't know if the head coach would be able to accomplish what we did because we were such um, a group, a core. Um, and then all the way to now, my position, Coach Amer, is one of the most competitive people I have ever met. Like, I'm scared to play her in, like, a game of cards. I won't do it because <laughs> she's so competitive. And she knows how to get on you when you need it, but how to also be soft and sensitive when you need to just talk. Um, she has a great relationship with all the girls. She's a leader, but we're uh, we're a group because I offset her. I'm a little bit more relaxed and laughing, and that's just how I played and it's how I coach. And the girls know that, like, if they have a question, they're not sure they can ask her. They ask me, and then if I'm like, okay, yeah, sure, they go. It's a, it's a process. It's a um, it's a ladder. And so I think with dynamic leaders and the ones I just named, yes, they're dynamic leaders, but because because they have a dynamic group. If, I don't know if that makes sense, but they wouldn't be those leaders without that group. And so, like my mom and dad, Coach Walton, and the staff, and then professionally the same thing, and then even now with. Julie and I, um, it's hard to be a leader if you don't have, like I said, even from high school, a support group surrounding you, the people who are going to push you and make you better, be there when you need them, um, and just continue to mold, mold you and create the person that you want to be or that you are, or always striving to be a better one. I love the way you attacked that question, and that was definitely a unique perspective on it, and appreciate your insight into all the leaders and all the groups that are part of your life. Taylor, if there is anyone listening to this conversation and they want to get in touch, learn more about your program or learn more about you or just touch base, say they enjoyed it. Is there an easy way for someone to get in touch with you? Yeah. All of my info are, is on a Nova Southeastern's um, athletic site. It's easy. My email's there. My phone number's there reach out to me you can message me on any of my social medias it's just under taylor fuller so no i if you have any questions or advice or anything please reach out to me i i live for that stuff um i enjoy it so um like i said all my info's on the nova site so just reach out and we can talk Awesome. I'll throw all that information into the show notes as I do with all of my guests for easy reference. Anyone listening that does want to get in touch with Taylor. Taylor, before I let you go, any last words of wisdom that you want to leave us with? <laughs> to the young kids, it would probably just be pursue your passion, whether that is making very little in the end goal or making a lot in the end goal no matter what it is if you enjoy it then it doesn't matter and you'll find a way to make ends meet if it's hard but if you pursue what your passion is that whole cliche saying of you never work a day in your life it's so true I fought it for the longest time and then I fell in love with it so pursue what your passion is 
also pay the bills. But if you enjoy it, then you got you'll figure out a way and just do what you love, uh, no matter what. Great way to end this conversation, Taylor. Thank you so much for taking some time. I know you're getting ready to settle in with the start of summer training camp. So definitely appreciate you taking time and giving us all your insight expertise and letting us into a little bit of that culture world, especially with the Florida Gators. That was a really cool conversation. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed it. That wraps up my conversation with Taylor Fuller. That was amazing getting all the insight that we did to those Gators in the national championships that she won and obviously she's a an extremely driven person and has so many things ahead of her she's going to impact so many young women both in softball and off the field as well wish her the very best moving forward a quick reminder if you haven't gotten those mailbag questions in submit them right now take some time now that this episode is over colin at talent409.com is the email to send your questions to for the mailbag episode at the end of september Quick shout out to my sponsor, Sweat with Stods. Go to www.sweatwithstods.com today and figure out what she can do for your fitness future tomorrow. We are back Thursday, this time with another special guest and another special edition of the Dynamic Leaders podcast. Make sure you tune in to figure out what that's all about and what that's going to be moving forward. But thank you to my listeners, as always, and coming back for these guest episodes and for the additional content that we're now putting out. It's really exciting and I'm having a lot of fun doing it and I hope you're enjoying 